sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Happy Monday to you all, wherever you are and however you are joining us. Thank you for doing so here on 1069thefan.com, 1069FM, 1390AM, The Fan. Eric Franson here, AJ Salveson as well, 401 your kickoff time. Grateful to have you here on the Full Court Press. Uh, some sporting news to get you through, at least for this Monday show. Um, golf has made some major changes to their, uh, their tournaments, to some big tournaments. Will it work out? Will the weather cooperate? What are the challenges with that? Jacob Miller, the executive director of the Utah Golf Association, will join us at 4.30 to talk about all things golf, including what they're doing here in Utah to protect the all-golfers who are out there swinging the sticks during this uh, somewhat good weather over the weekend. Uh, We'll also get through our NFL decade team, both offense and defense. One guy you'll probably know who is extremely familiar to the Valley made that list. Tom Brady? uh, I said local, Eric. Sure, a lot of people around here know who Tom Brady is. No, I said local. He's on the list, but he's not local. Oh, no, he's not local. No. Yeah, very, very good. Uh, we'll also uh, we'll get through some other news and notes, including in the NBA, where things are not as optimistic as they once were. In fact, more pessimistic than they were before. Much more. We'll get through that and uh, what some of the experts have to say on that situation. Eric, how was your weekend? Uh, it was good. You know, these it just the days just kind of blend know, together like, anymore. It's just all this, you know. Usually, there's like benchmark things that happen through any given week, and it's all thrown out the door. Yeah, you know, you bring up such a really good point. Like I was, uh, <laughs> I was going through some old sports stuff, uh, programs, and 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 stat notes and whatnot. I got to be honest with you, the bowl game seems like it happened yesterday. The Mount West Conference Tournament seems like it happened five years ago. <laughs> like, it's weird, man. Like, I can remember details of the bowl game, and I can barely remember some of the things that happened at the Mount West Conference Tournament, with the exception of Sam, Sam Merrill going off in the second half. Like, there's everything else is just kind of a blur. Like, it's amazing. Um, yeah, and if, if for those who are optimistic that sports will get here sooner than later, uh, that optimistic might be going down slowly but surely here in the next in the next couple of weeks. We're going to be a bit. <sighs> we can still hope, right? Yeah, if yeah. People I mean, yeah, continue that, to do that's their what job. You want to do, yeah, that's if, what we should do. Yeah, if people continue to do their job, if you continue to wash your hands, do the sanitizer, uh, clean down your surfaces, limit your exposure to people by staying six feet apart, uh, limit your travel. Uh, we'll we'll get through this. Things well, will get back to thing, normal though, sooner Eric, than later. Is that we're talking to the valley. We're not talking to like the whole entire sports world. I wish we were because I'd give them the exact same message. What? But I mean, we're I thought they all listen to our show faithfully. We have twenty five people listening to our show. Twenty five. Uh, the other thirty five just streaming after the show's over with. Four three five three three nine zero three two one. Do roll call. Text in where you're listening from. How are you doing? How was your weekend? Let us know how you're doing. And, and by the way, let me know if you've watched Tiger King. This, this show continues to trend upward, but I refuse to watch it for various reasons. I watched half of the first episode and, <laughs> and you were like, couldn't nope. get through the rest. Nope, not for me. 435-339-0321 if you want to participate and text into the show. All message and data rates to apply as per contract to your service. Hope your weekend was good and we welcome you back to another weekend of what we hope 
more sporting news will come, and we can hope we can provide you some entertainment and some discussion as well. The NFL has released their all-decade team from 2010 to 2000. Now, is it 19? To 2019, yes. So it's only nine years. No, it's 10 years. If you include 2010, it's that's 10 years. No, 2010 to 2019 is nine. 2010? That's oh, one year. okay. We were counting 2011? like that. There's different that's ways you can count year. this, Eric. 2012? Should no, I keep going? You can, you, there's different ways you can count it. That's a it. decade. 2010 to 2019 is the full... Shut it. 10 years. Shove it. Shut it. It's when uh, I count on all of my fingers and toes. Uh, so the NFL 2010's all-decade team has been released. Uh, some will be surprises. Some will not. There's been a couple of... Uh-oh. That's not good. Why is he texting me? Uh... That's not good. Uh, all decade team has been released. Uh, the quarterbacks are of and this okay. So one of them surprised me. One of them doesn't. Tom Brady's in. He's won three Super Bowls, including the greatest comeback ever in Super Bowl history. Yes, sir. Get him in there. He's in. By the way, he was the unanimous selection. Aaron Rodgers is the only other quarterback to make the team, despite what I'd say Drew Brees has done. What Ben Roethlisberger maybe has done, uh, I'd even put weird as it is to say, <laughs> uh, Peyton Manning. Well, are there only two spots? Yep. Can you only choose two quarterbacks? Yep. Is it one from each division? Uh, I don't know. I don't. Yes. I don't, okay. I mean, Tom Brady's an AFC, and yeah, but Aaron that, that, is that, that doesn't mean you can choose one from each division. You can. Peyton Manning's well, not going to make the list because. They had to choose Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I'm like you. I'm surprised Drew Brees did not make this list. But Here's, who, who does he replace? Aaron Rodgers. Why is Aaron Rodgers on the list? That's what makes me curious. Aaron won a Super Bowl in 2010. Sure, they beat Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes, I get it. Peyton Manning went to a Super Bowl and then won another one, including beating Tom Brady's Patriots twice in their playoff run. I am not sure. And Russell Wilson's another one. Why isn't Russell Wilson? How does he not make it over Aaron Rodgers? Uh, that's a good point. He won a Super Bowl. He was at a couple others. So um, he's had a great run of success. It's, uh, yeah. Curious to that one. Wide receivers are about as expected. Antonio Brown, Larry Fitzgerald, Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones. Any questions there? No. No, I mean, that's a, that's I know, a I, solid I, list. <laughs> Antonio Brown, I know, has went crazy lately, but let's look at the last 10 years, and but, he's been yeah. phenomenal. And Holy Jones went, not is so. on, a, on a platform of his own. Yeah. Tight end, surprise, surprise, Rob Gronkowski is in, as is Travis Kelty. Uh, tackles are Jason Pierce, Tyron Smith, Joe Staley, Joe Thomas, guard Starry Evans, Logan Mankin, Zach Martin, and Marshall Yanda. By the way, Marshall Yanda was a unanimous selection, as was Joe Thomas. Centers, Alex Mack and Marie or Marquise Pouncey. And then running backs, this one's an interesting list. Frank Gore, Marshawn Lynch, LaShawn McCoy, and Adrian Peterson was a unanimous selection. And the flex receiver was Darren Sproles. Questions? I mean, are we, are we good on the running backs? I'm trying to think of somebody they might have missed. Marshawn, I'm surprised Marshawn's not unanimous, by the way. I'm, I'm really surprised. Um, I'm not. Really? Yeah. Just... Because he had his great moments, and then he like he walked away from football for a while. Yeah, but he had like four years of great moments. 
he was good for a, a long span of time. Adrian Peterson's a guy who kind of disappeared off the map. I mean, he had that child abuse situation or whatever that was. But he's another guy who. But then he a, came back. He had he was great a couple years running back. Again. Yeah, I mean, so I see he had four great years. But then you look at Marshawn. He won a Super Bowl and was a big part of that. Adrian, anything, Bueller. I mean, it's just yeah. I'm a little interested by the unanimous selection part of it. Defensive ends on the All-Decade team go like this: uh, Calais Campbell, Cameron Jordan, Julius Peppers, and unanimous selection J.J. Watt make the defensive ends. Defensive tackles: Geno Atkins, Fletcher Cox. Unanimous selection: Aaron Donald and Ndamukong Sue also makes this list. I'm surprised Dwight Freeney's not on there. Is he more of a thousands guy, not 2010s? Uh, probably his better years were, were yeah, into, okay, in the, in the decade before. Is there, are we missing? And a he was de- influential in the early part of the decade, but. As the probably most influential in the decade previous. Inside linebackers are Luke Keechley, Patrick Willis, and then, of course, Utah State's very own Bobby Wagner has made the list. None of those are unanimous. Uh, Bobby, deserving? Yes? No? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there's several years he was highly regarded as the best inside linebacker in the NFL. Uh, he was part of a great defensive unit for many, many seasons. Uh, continues to be an outstanding linebacker. Uh, no question he should belong on that. He's been a pro bowler. Um, he's been in the running for defensive MVP numerous different times. Absolutely, he should be on that list. Outside linebackers were Chandler Jones, Khalil Mack, Vaughn Miller. And Vaughn Miller, by the way, was unanimous. So Bobby Wagner isn't, but Vaughn Miller is. Are we being too biased? <sighs> Maybe. I mean, I, Von I mean, Miller is a Super Bowl MVP. Yeah. Bobby right. Wagner probably should be a unanimous selection, though. I mean, the guy was given one of those Madden 99 honors for how good he is. That's how good Bobby Wagner is. Little surprise Bobby didn't get unanimous selection. Uh, I am, too. I mean, he and Von Miller, man, if you look at them side by side, I think they're pretty close to each other with yep. their, their career accomplishments, yep. especially in the last decade. Yep, that Super Bowl MVP is the only thing that trades them out. Otherwise, yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. And I almost wager to say Bobby Wagner maybe should have won MVP in that Super Bowl 49 blowout where they took care of the Broncos 49-6. to or is it 48? Super Bowl 48, excuse me. Cornerbacks will be Patrick Peterson, the Arizona Cardinals, Darrell Revis, and Richard Sherman. Safeties are Eric Berry, Earl Thomas, Eric Weddle, former Utah Ute. And defensive backs are Chris Harris and Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger from LSU. Uh, happy for Eric Weddle that he made it. Expected Earl Thomas, yes. Eric Berry's an interesting one. Richard Sherman, yes. Darrell Revis, no. I'm not I'm not sure on Darrell Revis. I feel like Revis Island was from 07 to 2010 and then kind of disappeared. After he left the Jets and then went to the Buccaneers, like it just kind of tailed off. Uh maybe not as impactful as a, as that early period that you talked about, but still a quality player. Yeah. Influential guy. Who would you take if you needed to have one defensive possession to shut down a best receiver? Darrell Revis or Richard Sherman in their prime? In their prime? Yeah. I'd probably take Revis. Me too. Yeah, absolutely me too. That guy, I mean, look, he he was stuck on... He gave Randy Moss fits in 2010 
when Moss was playing his third year with the Patriots. And they were at New York. And Moss couldn't get anything. Couldn't get anything. And that's kind of when things fell off. I mean, there was a press conference too, but there was, there, I mean, that's when kind of things fell off was when Revis was upset or Moss was upset that he didn't feel like he didn't get the touches that he should have got against the Jets when Revis was guarding him. And then Revis ran his mouth. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take Revis over Sherman. How about this one? Uh, Vaughn Miller or Khalil Mack? Ooh. Um, man, that's really good. I'd probably take Vaughn Miller. Just he's got a larger body of work. I know we're looking at two different positions, but Bobby Wagner or Vaughn Miller? Oh, that's a really... I probably would I'm going go with Wagner. Vaughn. Okay. Just because I think he's maybe a little bit bigger. Yeah, a little more physical. I, I like Wagner because of his agility. I yeah. still remember the interception he had versus Tom Brady in the Super Bowl where Tom looked him off, not once but twice on a crossing route, then went towards Jillian and it got picked off, but like Bobby never even flinched. And this was what amazing. There's an interview after that Tom Brady had done by with Sports Illustrated about that Super Bowl and about the offense they'd ran. And he talked about the interception that Wagner made. And he said, man, he goes, any other linebacker would have bit on that. And he goes, not maybe with the first look, but the second time I looked off Julian, went elsewhere, they would have absolutely just trailed off. Wagner, and he says, Wagner didn't even flinch, didn't even move, and then sticks his big paws out there and makes a <laughs> makes a nice interception. And he kind of, he walked off, he said he walked off the field, took off his helmet and looked at McDonald's and says, dude, I don't know, he goes, I didn't know what the hell to do, quote unquote there, I didn't know what the hell to do with him. And then he kind of watched the replay, and he's right, like, Wagner doesn't even move. I just love his mobility. Uh, his agility, his size. I know he's a little bit smaller, but he's got good size. He's physical. Like well, Von he's Miller. smart. Oh, yeah. He's smart. The way High he IQ. reads the defense and he controls. I mean, he's he's the quarterback of the defense for Seattle. Uh, and they've had great defenses. And speaking of Seattle, I mean, uh, Pete Carroll named as one of the coaches of the decade along with uh, Coach Bilicek. Yep. How do you about agree with that? that? Yes, I do. I do. I absolutely do. Uh, I think Bill Belichick, of course, deserves to be in there. Uh, Pete Carroll, you know, people look at that Seahawks team, and they were more dominant than just the two Super Bowls. I felt like their legacy was from 2012 to 2016-17. Even when they did lose a majority of the Legion of Boom defense, they were still really good at defensively. And I feel like you you get credit, you give credit to Pete Carroll for that. Well, and I have to give a lot of credit to Pete Carroll for how he's retooled that team just in the last two seasons. Um, how they really ahead of schedule with some of the changes that they had to make as, as they got a little bit younger at key positions. Uh, and yet they were still able to be competitive and, and make playoffs and be dangerous in the playoffs. So uh, that that great sign of coaching. Yeah, I, uh, I I have no no gripes at all about uh, about that. I and, and honestly, there's only a handful of other coaches that you can maybe consider, like Sean Payton. Uh, I think you consider him at New Orleans. Um, uh, but who else has been around and was good for an extended period of time in the last decade? There's not a lot of other coaches out there that. Um, were consistently good over that 10-year period of time. 
The coaches have had their moments, but um, who's been consistently good over the last 10 years? Yeah, Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll. Really, they're, they're the two coaches that stand out to me. Uh, someone do, do you think the, uh, the bounty gate probably hurts? Kills them. Uh, the, the Saints... Okay, so here, okay, so here's where they would have stood on this. This is where I got a question for you. Does that 2009 season count then? Was that back in 2009? Yeah. Okay, so it's uh, it's outside of the window. But even then, I mean, they for some still, reason I was thinking it was more. They recent still went than that. to the NFC Championship a couple of times after that, lost, but still went. But I, I agree. I think maybe the bounty gate does hurt them a little bit, so there's still a lingering effect. By the way, the NFL uh, All-Decade Team and Specialist is uh, Johnny Hecker as a punter, Shane Lechler, punter, kickers are Stephen Koskowski, that's the fourth member of the Patriots to make it, and Justin Tucker of the Ravens. Punt returners are Tyree Kill and Darren Sproles, so he makes it twice. And then kick returners, what do you know, Devin Hester, and then Cordell Patterson, who, by the way, or excuse me, that Cordell Patterson, excuse me, I looked at that and I was like, no way. Yeah, uh, Devin Hester and Cordell Patterson uh, make it as kick returners for the all-decade team. Devin Hester is one of the greatest returners in NFL history. That guy, I still never understood why people would kick it to him. I think it was the Steelers. No. Yeah, it might have been the Steelers playing the Bears. And they in the fourth quarter, up 14, no, third, 12, they kicked it to him twice, Eric. Twice in the fourth quarter. The first one he ran at 65 yards back for a touchdown. And then after a field goal, they kicked it to him again. And he ran it back for another touchdown. And the Bears <laughs> ended up winning the game. Like, the guy was unreal. And Justin Tucker's one of the most clutch field goal kickers in the 2010s. I put him up there with Anna uh, Vinatieri of the Patriots. One of the best kickers in NFL history. He was, he was clutch as all get out. Tyreek Hill. Getting in there as a punt returner. Darren Sproles. Little mini me, he's a, he's a, uh, yeah, I'll give it to him. I have no complaints. As long as Devin Hester made it, I wouldn't complain. Goskowski making it is a little bit of a surprise as a kicker because he had, he had a couple of bad years too. Tucker's, uh, I think, in fact, Tucker was a unanimous selection. He was only unanimous selection. Devin Hester wasn't even a unanimous selection in this. What I'd, what I'd like to see is how it breaks down. Me too. The votes? I'd love to see how those votes break down. Yeah, yeah I'm with you. Uh, hey, by the way, and, and I should have brought this up on, on Friday, and I didn't. Speaking of Pete Carroll, um, you had brought up the other last week that that USC-Texas game rerun was on. So I went and watched the whole thing. Okay, a lot of thoughts I want to get out of here. Lendell White was an absolute monster. Pair him with Reggie Bush. I don't know how that team loses to Texas. And I don't know how they get under 300 yards of rushing. And I sure as heck don't know how Pete Carroll on fourth and one in the fourth quarter decides to go with Lendell White and no Reggie Bush on the field and they get sh- and they get stuffed. Stuffed. And then the on the flip side of it, uh that the USC team was loaded, but Vince Young was a monster. And if someone would have told me that Vince Young's NFL career would have disappeared in three years, I would have laughed at you at that time. Oh, he was unstoppable. As a college player, uh, he was so dynamic. Um, a, a decent thrower, not a bad thrower, but uh, just athletic, mobile, um, and he, he knew how to keep the, the, the plays extended uh, and scrambling for extra yards. And 
making big plays when they were necessary. So that was a great, great game. Yeah, that was a heck of a basketball game. I or a football game, excuse me. And then I, I went and rewatched the uh, game seven of Cavaliers and the Warriors. Uh, that was fun to watch. That game was much better than I, I remember. Um, just Kyrie Irving hitting ridiculous layups. Steph or Steph Curry was horrible, but Clay Thompson and Draymond Green were mesmerizing for the Warriors. In fact, kept him in the whole night. And then of course LeBron James in that block. I I rewound it at least four times to watch where LeBron James is and to where he gets to to block Iguodala's layup. <laughs> Just unreal. LeBron James was uh, one. He solidified. He solidified himself as one of the top three players of all time. I still take Jordan over LeBron. But LeBron, like, watch him in that game seven was just unbelievable. In fact, I think he's better in game seven than Kobe Bryant was in game seven of the 2010 Finals, when he went like six for 21, and was horrendous. And I was like, man, I actually might even take LeBron over Kobe, just if you look at playoff resume alone. Yeah, it's been. Uh, we'd rather have live sports, but it has been fun to watch some of these yeah. classics. Because you kind of forget, yeah, how true. good those games were. I, I, well, and you also forget how far we've come just in technology. <laughs> that's a good one. Viewing these games, you watch it, and it's like ESPN HD, and they're all making a big deal out of it, and you're like, it's still a crappy thing. Yeah, it looks like garbage, man. It's 2006. I was on a mission during that, so I didn't get to see the game. So I got a chance to go back and watch it, and. That USC-Texas game is just, holy heck, <laughs> so good. And then, yeah, that uh, the uh, Game 7 was actually pretty good itself. What's uh, Is there anything on tonight? Anything good? I know they've played a few games of, like, All-Star games and a couple of ESP or uh, a couple of NBA Final games from, like, 88 with Magic Johnson, which, ironically enough, doesn't intrigue me at all. So I'm just hoping that there's some... Oh, uh, did you see? Here's how bad it's been for Sports World and for Sports Center. They did their top 10, right? And it was all from WrestleMania highlights last night. Oh, man. <laughs> and they're all trying to act excited about it. You know, it's getting really thin. <laughs> it was so funny. They're like, yo, did you see this move? And we're like, uh, yeah, cool. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, uh, good stuff. So, there's no schedule on for tonight. Ooh, Adam Scheffler, by the way, has reported... The NFL now has informed its teams it will do a virtual draft this year. GMs and head coaches now will be drafting from their homes. NFL teams cannot gather at one person's home, each person for him or herself, during the draft. Boy, how do you do a war room and make deals? And I can, It's I mean, going to be weird, man. Everybody hop on Google Hangouts at 4 p.m. <laughs> Eastern time. There's some guy on the West Coast just hanging out. Wait, what time is that? 4 p.m. Eastern time, but that's 1 p.m. my time. I just I, I can't imagine how ugh, that's going to be scary. All right, we got to take a break. Coming back, we're going to get to it with uh, in the regards to golf. Some major changes to the tournaments in regards to dates. A couple of them are in November, and they're big tournaments. How does it affect the golf game? How do, and how is Utah handling its golf situation with its golfers as well? J Jacob Miller of the uh, executive director of the Utah Golf Association will join us here in just a few minutes to talk about just that. It's all full court press. Eric France and Jay Salveson. 1069 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com.
The Full Court Press Start Frampton LJ Salveson on 1069 FM, 1390 AM, the fan, 1069thefan.com. Eric, speaking of football, since we're still on that topic, love what I'm hearing about Jordan Love and the excitement he's bringing for Utah State, but also his draft status. Yeah, uh, USA Today um, is uh, has something that they published here recently, and in their sports section, in their sports weekly, the headline is, Who Follows Brady? And there is Jordan Love right on the front cover, along with Justin Herbert and uh, Jalen Hurts. But uh, when you get down to the nitty-gritty, so the quarterbacks the Patriots could draft to replace Brady. Here's what they have to say about Jordan Love. Say he's a projected first-round pick, someone who people have started to project as a Patriots pick. He's a solid athlete and ties for the third-best quarterback fit within our metrics. Love hits Patriots averages on height, hand size, 40-yard dash, vertical leap, and broad jump. But Love is tough to evaluate because he's coming off a rough 2019 season. Uh, the, the article continues. says, last year he threw for 3,402 yards, but he threw only 20 passing touchdowns and a whopping 17 interceptions. In 2018, he looked like the real deal with 3,567 passing yards, 32 touchdowns, and six interceptions. Patriots met with Love at the NFL Combine. Uh, but it, I don't know that there's anything new that we're hearing uh, about Jordan Love uh, when people are doing these analyses and trying to break it down where they think he might go, where he, who he might end up with. It, it seems to be much of the same stuff. Uh, you know, you look at the junior tape. Uh, be mindful of what you're looking at. This is senior tape because of all the changes that happened around him. Um, but uh, so there's still some concern about where where Jordan Love really is and where he'll fall. So what happens in the next two weeks are going to be really, really interesting with the draft coming up later on this month uh, to see if, if teams really do feel like uh, he has the potential to be what they want to be or if they're concerned about the product that it was happening in his senior season, if that will scare some teams away or not. But either way... I, I think we can be pretty confident Jordan Love's going to go in the first round. I mean, that seems to be pretty consistent that uh, what we're hearing from those that are evaluating the talent to go to the NFL draft, that Jordan Love's going to go in the first round. And it, that's amazing. I, you said it before, and I'll, I'll repeat what you said before. It's amazing we're talking about a, a Utah State quarterback, a Utah State football player going in the first round. Top fifteen, most likely. Like that's that's incredible. You got teams vying to jockey position to get Jordan Love. That's what he's doing right now. That, that's incredible. The other cool thing too is based on where he's projected to go, he's probably going to go to a solid franchise. Yeah, that doesn't really need a quarterback uh, as like their they, they. This is a, a team that had a bad year last year, and they're high in the draft and. This is these are usually teams that have been historically struggling. So he's probably going to go to a, a franchise that's going to be pretty um, some solid footing, and he'll be able to walk right into and hopefully have some success. All right, Eric. Uh, the major announcements today um, amongst the PGA Golf Tournament uh, in regards of changing some dates, including the Masters being in November. That's right, the Masters in November. 
And then, of course, you have, uh, you know, with, with golf here in the state of Utah and, and how does that change things, uh, we are absolutely privileged and pleasured uh, to have the, I, I hope I get his title right because I don't want to screw this up, but I'm going to try it again. It's the Utah, or excuse me, Executive Director of the Utah Golf Association, Jacob Miller, joining us here on the Full Court Press. Mr. Miller, thank you for your time. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, so let's start here with the announcements that have came out about the uh, about this uh, Utah Golf Association, or excuse me, not with the Utah Golf Association, with the PJ and the Masters being in November. Can they? I mean, can they make that work, especially with the weather being as it is in November? Yeah, I tell you what, the the surprising one out of all of that was the Masters being in November. I don't know if anybody's been to Augusta, Georgia, that time of year, but it's uh, it can be pretty brisk. So. I'm I'm interested to see how they pull that one off. I also think of all of them that that one has the best opportunity to actually be played as is. I think uh, the one thing we know about all of this COVID-19 stuff is that we don't know enough and we don't know when things are going to happen and when they're going to change. So I, I, I look at that PGA championship date in the first week of August as relatively aggressive, depending on how they, they want to host it, especially if they're thinking about getting spectators on that property. So it's uh, I think that they can get it done, and if anybody can do it, it's Augusta National. The interesting thing about that golf course is it's actually a, a spring and fall golf course. They shut it down for a couple months in the summer uh, and have no play. So really, I don't think that's outside of their normal wheelhouse in terms of, of when their club would operate. But uh, mixing a little football with the Masters is, uh, you know, for a sports fan who's pretty deprived right now, uh, that's kind of an exciting prospect. <laughs> hey, with the Ryder Cup being on September 22nd through 27th, does it change what uh, big-time golf, I mean, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, and what those guys, does it change what their schedule is going to look like and what events they decide to participate in? Oh, absolutely. I mean, those guys build their schedules around, um, you know, the majors, and then, of course, the Ryder Cup is, is one of the very best events in all of golf. Um, so these guys' schedules... I'm imagining that that they probably got wind of some of these changes, um, you know, prior to the public getting it. But all of their schedules are going to change at this point uh, for, you know, building what they have around it. What will be very interesting to see is how they schedule the other tour events, because obviously those dates throughout the summer and then into the fall are already scheduled PGA Tour event dates. So whether those are um, you know, kind of side events like the Puerto Rico Open that Tony Finau won a few years ago that take place while a major or something else is going on. If they look at them in that regard or, um, you know, a different way, it's going to be really interesting. But, yes, Phil and Tiger and all of them will be – they basically scrapped their schedule uh, and are going to be building it from, from the start up here as uh, we figure out when the PGA Tour is going to get off the ground again. How does it affect – uh, just, I mean, how much golf is going to be played? How tight is that schedule going to end up being for these golfers to fit all these kind of tournaments in? Yeah, it's going to be extremely tight. The PGA Tour has rules about how many events that each uh, tour member has to participate in each season in order to, to remain and, and keep their tour card. So trying to pack all of these into a very short schedule, I'm sure there'll be some events that players normally compete in uh, but now conflict with those uh, Masters and U.S. Open, PGA Championship dates, uh, and then some pretty big tournaments, I would imagine, especially that early August event and the September event uh, that the U.S. Open is going to be over the top of. So there will be fields of players um, at some of those 
I'm going to call them other events that are that are at the same time as those majors that are going to give opportunities for players to play who who maybe didn't have a chance to you know they're expanding who's going to be playing on tour those weeks because uh, they're going to be filling two fields not just one so that'll be a, a huge positive for some of those players and then at the same time for those events you're going to lose some of the big names obviously because they're going to be competing in the larger events um, and you're going to have guys that love certain events or love certain golf courses and want to go play at them and do well at them. As you see, take a look at Tiger in his career. He's won, you know, half of his events at, you know, seven or eight different golf courses and he continues to go to them year after year and do well. Um, you may see some of those guys lose an opportunity to play at a track that they feel very comfortable on or have scored well on or have done well on in the past. So kind of a positive and negative from a lot of different perspectives, depending on who you are and, how you're looking at it. All right, we're going to give this a try and see if uh, this, you can hear me now. We'll cross our fingers. You. Oh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. Excellent. It's my bad. <laughs> okay. Oh, as always. So I'll, I'll, I'll uh, it's, it's okay. We'll forgive you this one time. Um, I'll ask the question <laughs> that I asked you, uh, that I tried to ask you previously with the, we know that there's some other sports that are considering playing games without fans. Could golf do the same thing? And as a follow-up, how important is it to have those tens of thousands, sometimes even hundreds of thousands of, of people that can be on a course doing a major event? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, and I think I'll answer it in a couple different ways. You know, at this point, I would be, you know, if you look at San Francisco, look at the PGA Championship at Harding Park, um, the, the state of California has more restrictions uh, other than New York uh, than other, any other state right now. So, Putting 100,000 people on that, that TPC Harding Park property come August is, I would be shocked if, if they were able to do that uh, with all the restrictions that will still likely be put into place. So for a lot of these organizations, the PGA of America, the USGA, PGA Tour Masters, you know, TV rights and TV revenue are the, the biggest piece of what they do. Obviously, they get hurt significantly not having you know, a couple hundred thousand ticket sales happening those weeks and all the merchandise that goes along with it, food and beverage, et cetera. So, you know, I'm sure all of those organizations are looking at it from a financial standpoint, and that might be a little bit of why we've seen the, the, uh, the open uh, go to the wayside, which is disappointing for all golfers. But it's uh, to the loss of all of that revenue for those organizations. And speaking for them, they a lot of them are one-trick ponies. The, the PGA of America has the PGA Championship and the Ryder Cup, and the vast majority of their budgets as an organization are made up of those couple events. Uh, same thing with USGA and the U.S. Open. It's That's a big piece of what they do, and obviously the Masters, or I guess the National with with the Masters tournament. So it's uh, I don't think it's required. Uh, I think those all of those organizations are going to be looking at it. How do we make this event happen? How can we televise this event safely? Because there's obviously going to be millions of us sports fans um, dying to see golf and football and everything else uh, once it finally gets back on TV. I think from a player's standpoint, um, you know, obviously there's there's less feel when you don't have those huge roars and you're not going to putt or, or hit a three-pointer or score a touchdown, whatever it might be. You won't have some of that happening. But um, a lot of what they're doing is based off of tv so if they can get a product that they can put on tv that's still good and still gives you most of a sense of what these golf tournaments would be like 
I think that's probably what these organizations are shooting for at this point. And if they can get some spectators on, on property, um, I think that'll be kind of a bonus for them at this point. For some of these, to to host one of these major tournaments, I mean, it's like a four- or five-year process. Is that all going to be shifted? Uh, they already started to make some some decisions on that, that it, if it didn't happen this year, it's just the, the, the time... Uh, the clock just shifts back a year for everybody else, or has that even been discussed yet? I, I, you know, I'm not necessarily privy to those internal discussions amongst those organizations, but speaking from our standpoint, and I would imagine it's pretty similar, you know, you already have a schedule built for the next handful of years. You've got the next eight or nine U.S. Open sites lined up. Same thing with the PGA Championship. They're out between five and, and ten years. So I would expect that if a club gets passed over this year, um, you know, they're just going to find a way to the back of the rotation. I'm, I'm sure that those big organizations obviously want to continue to have those clubs involved with their championship. But um, from a from a standpoint of, of pushing everybody back, I think that would be extremely difficult for, for the, all the rest of the clubs to then be pushed back because they're planning on having it. Uh, in a certain year, and you're absolutely right. The U.S. Open is a is about a five year process in terms of agronomy and what they're trying to do, growing grass and changing fairways and greens and and all of this stuff. The infrastructure that goes with hosting a major championship, there's a ton going on there that these clubs have to do, and a lot of dollars behind that. Um, so I, I can't see them just pushing schedules back. It'll be kind of a you know a tough luck, tough with the tough luck on the draw for these organizations or for these clubs that are hosting this year. So hopefully they happen uh, to what extent will be, you know, we're still waiting and seeing on that, but um, I think it'll be a, just a loss for those clubs if they don't get to host this year. Assistant or excuse me, executive director of the Utah golf association, Jacob Miller joining us here on the full court press. Uh, Mr. Miller, let me ask you, what is the situation like in Utah with golfing? I've seen uh, responsible golfers going out, staying six feet apart golfing in separate carts, being smart about the situation. Is that what you've seen so far? And uh, what would you recommend to golfers who want to continue to go out? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that the response from our PGA professionals in the state and our clubs has been just tremendous. And you, we've seen over the last couple of weeks, a few courses have, have closed down between the Salt Lake County, Salt Lake City, uh, Davis County courses. They've clo- closed to put proper precautions into place so they can uh, you know, operate their golf courses effectively and safely. Most of them have moved to online tee times. Uh, they won't take cash. You're not interacting with any golf course staff. You know, before your round, it's you pay online, you come up, you know, Jake Miller here for, you know, 4 o'clock tee time, great, have a nice day. If you need a cart, lots of places have gone walking only. So there's golf courses are, you know, one of the more safe places to be with all of this going on, and they're becoming quickly the one of the last re- last refuges for anybody wanting to go outside and, and enjoy some outdoor recreation as we welcome spring in here and the weather starts to get nice. So if everybody's doing their part, which the clubs are certainly doing so and, and golfers are, are doing so as well, I think we can maintain and keep our golf courses open. Um, that's kind of the goal at this point. So I, there are a lot of good... Uh, guidelines out there that the CDC and other places have, have and the USGA have uh, helped us with in terms of 
making our golf facilities safe for people. And, and so far, that's what I've been seeing, and that's been the case. I know you talked about this a little bit already, but with that of staying six feet apart and, and you know, golf cart situation, as, as safe as it is, does it surprise you that they still postponed so many events in the PGA, knowing that they probably could have worked through it and, and maybe made some adjustments? I think the challenging piece uh, when you look at something locally versus the PGA Tour is is all of the additional working parts uh, to a PGA Tour event. Mm-hmm. So local stuff, you get in your car, you drive to your golf course, you can pay online, you play around, you leave, they can clean the carts and do all the things necessary. It's very small scale. When you're looking at a PGA Tour event, just the travel in and of itself is kind of a scary proposition. And I think that's where most of the major leagues, and sorry, NBA, MLB, MLS, PGA Tour, all of these these players and coaches and everybody associated with those events have to get on an airplane or, or get in a vehicle and travel across the country. And I think just that part in and of itself um, makes the commissioners extremely nervous to put their, their high-priced talent uh, in harm's way like that. So just little things like that. And then we already talked about this a bit before, but the spectator piece of it, I mean, you've got somewhere in the ballpark of, 30 to 100 or 200,000, depending on your golf course, people on one single property using bathrooms and food and beverage facilities and all sorts of stuff where it's the, the, the pieces that you can do at a local level at a single golf course with only 150 to 200 golfers a day, you can't put any of that stuff into play when you've got 100,000 people on site. It would be, there's not enough staff or, or operation, you know, great operation in the world to make that be a safe environment. Hey, uh, last question for me. Uh, it, just before all of this hit, uh, before all the craziness started to happen, how would you say the, the health of golf is in the state of Utah? You know, golf in the state has been, been really strong in the last handful of years. Our facilities have been doing well. Obviously, there's been a bit of a, a market correction from from the early 2000s and the, the late 19, uh, you know, in late 1990s when you had so much golf course expansion and building and golf courses were being built so you could sell property. Now you've seen a little bit of a, even a little bit here in Utah, but even nationwide, a little bit of a correction there. But you know, UGA memberships have been growing the last handful of years. We've seen the biggest growth in our, our junior memberships. There's so many clubs around the state that are, have great junior programs. The other interesting thing, and I, I get asked that, that very similar question a lot, when you measure lots of sports, you include all, all aspects, all avenues of that sport. So you know, if you're looking at baseball, you're thinking T-ball and Little League and, and Legion ball and all of, this, all of the different things within that. And golf has really always been classified as just green grass facilities. Who's going out to the golf course? Who's playing rounds of golf? But the big piece that you've seen growth the last handful of years is uh, we call it entertainment golf. So things like Top Golf and Drive Shack and uh, organizations like that that golfers are coming to and people are picking up a golf club and swinging and, and hitting a golf ball for the first time that never have before. But they're doing it in a different avenue than traditional green grass golf. So if you factor that stuff in, I mean, golf is, is certainly on a, on a correct trajectory, you know, <laughs> preceding all of this stuff, of course. And then final question for me, how can people keep up to date with the Utah Golf Association uh, uh, to look up you know, courses that are open or things that they can do 
to be able to, if they want to go golfing. Yeah, or when tournaments start happening yep. again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, public schedule is on our UGA website uh, under the play tab, public schedule. Um, in terms of you know, how you can keep yourself safe, we've got a number of articles uh, from the USGA and other resources on our website that if you're nervous about venturing outside and getting on a golf course, um, some, some little helpful tricks and tips to, to keep you safe while out there. Um, it's, I, I would encourage, you know, if people want to get out and they're comfortable getting out and playing, you know, like I said, I'm very proud of the PGA pros in the States and all the, all the things that our facilities have done to, to help keep golfers safe. So if, if you're one that feels comfortable getting out there, we'd certainly recommend doing so. Enjoy some of the decent spring weather that we're having. He's the executive director of the Utah Golf Association, Mr. Jake Miller. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Jake. That was really good stuff. Greatly appreciate it. Let's do it again soon. Anytime, guys. We'll talk right. to you soon. All right. Thank you. Uh, that was really interesting uh, you know, takes on what's going on nationally. I feel so bad that it's freaking my gosh. Dang it, I hate <laughs> eh, we got figure it figured out. Uh, no, it- But the, the national perspective, but also the local perspective, too, is is interesting. And I've seen people out on, on courses – I agree. If you're, if you're all, it, it all social isolated up in your house and you can't get out and do a heck of a whole lot, um, you know, golf is a sport that there's not a lot of people around you. You can still recreate and, and have some fun as long as you're doing it right. I, I think that's smart to do the uh, walking only. Probably avoid the carts if you can, um, but uh, just so you're not spreading anything or contracting anything. But um, yeah, it's an interesting sport, and especially how it's affected by the uh, the coronavirus. And I, I agree. I think PGA Championship in August um, that may be a little too optimistic. Uh, but the U.S. Open that's been moved to September. That may be more likely because that's mid to late September. But then, as we heard uh, earlier, the Masters that's been moved all the way back into November. November, yeah. Because normally that should be going this week. But it's not. Yeah, it would actually, huh? It is. It would be this week. Wow. Yeah. But as you guys said, as you and Jacob both agreed upon, we're going to get a full, like, just hydrogen, water, explosion of sports right at our face come June, July, August, September, October, November. It is going to come fast. It is going to come furious. So buckle up. It's When it comes, uh, when it's here, oh, boy. It's going to be good. Yeah, it's going to be a lot coming at it once as they try to get caught up. Because it's not only affecting this season, but next as well for some of these leagues. That's exactly right. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll wrap it up here on the Full Court Press, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. The Aggies, Jazz, High Schools, even the Pee Wee's T-Ball team. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio. The Fan. Eric France and Alde Salveston, a big thanks to Jacob Miller, the executive director of the Utah Golf Association. I had trouble pronouncing that today. I just, not my day. Uh, really bad news if you're a like jazz. Documentary? Don't you dare. You know better. Okay, if I get the thing right, you can't yell at me. You can't yell at me if I get it right and I got it right. No. Uh, really bad news if you're a Jazz fan right now. Eric Walden is reporting the Woes report that Jazz GM Justin Zanuck has now interviewed with the Bulls today for the executive vice president of basketball operations job. My guess is that he's their top candidate. That's not good. We need him. 
<laughs> he, what you see. He was elevated quickly. Oh, and there's good reason why, had very why, high hopes Eric. for him. Bingo. And there's a reason why. Because they're of his smart. potential. And he's very, very smart. Very smart. He sees potential players. You look at the Bogdanovich. You look at the Mike Conley deal. Those are a lot of people. Many, many people are not a fan of it. Uh, you look at some of the deals he's able to make that have brought positive. Joe Johnson's thing. Um, Justin Zanuck's been a huge part of that. Uh, a very, very huge part of that. And uh, he's just he, he was promoted to Utah Jazz GM, like you said, on the rise very quickly. And now he's just interviewed with the Bulls today for the executive vice president of basketball operations job. Again, like I said, my guess is that he's getting it. Bulls organization is a hot mess, and they're trying to find they need some, some help and solutions. That's a good way to start, though. Uh, Eric, we got about 70 seconds left. Uh, what what, uh, what do you want to talk here? Well, speaking of the NBA, uh, apparently the NBA, ESPN, also Turner Sports, they're all looking together at creating some kind of a horse competition for NBA the players. The thing, I think, is full steam ahead. And i got to tell you, between ESPN, Turner, the NBA, everybody's working very hard to figure out to have something to give the fans. Also, people want to have something to work on. The players want to have something to do. Uh, is this stretching it a little bit? <sighs> I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I, I can say it's this: something. Watching them play two K twenty, either the game's trash or those guys really suck at it because it's bad. Like I watched it for five minutes and I was like, Donovan, you're horrible at this, dude. I I can't watch other people playing video games. I just <laughs> I can't. The only thing that was intriguing was the trash talk that was going on. <laughs> Patrick Beverly was really good, by the way. He was hilarious to listen to. Uh, Donovan Mitchell came down to a last-second three-point shot, and he missed it. So he got bounced in the first round. It was a sad deal. Good for you, Donovan. <laughs> good for you. For Jacob Miller, Eric Francis, and Amaj Salveson, thank you for so much for listening to today's show. We'll see you tomorrow night, 4 p.m. here on 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan.